Hello, Crossroads friends. It is Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. It's been a while since I've been with you guys, and uh, we're going to continue in our study on Romans, Romans chapter 3. We're going to pick up with verse 25. There is a verse here with a word <clears throat> that is, the idea behind it is, it's only, it's only, used four times uh, in Scripture. In the New American Standard, the word is propitiation, which I have right here, written up here. And I've got the verses that it is used in, as you can see right behind me. And it's, it's not talked about a whole lot. You don't hear many pastors talking about this from the pulpit, but it is a, it's a very basic belief and it's foundational to much of evangelical Christianity. I mean, when we get a hold of this and grasp its understanding of what this means, we see what what we talking of what what Scripture talks about in terms of why Christ came and gave up the royalties of heaven, and He came down here and He lived among us. In the time he was here, knowing that he was going to die on the cross and he was going to die for the sins of the whole world. Not just for the elect, but for the sins of the whole world. As a propitiation for our sins. And that's talked about. And so people can't really wrap their minds around this. And it is heavy. It's a heavy term to go into and to discuss but that doesn't mean we shy away from it. We have to have some understanding of what these concepts mean in terms of our theology, how we form our theology. Uh, the word, the phrase would be systematic theology that we talk so much about, how we, how we uh, believe the things we believe, why we believe in them, how we live our lives. That All that flows from this as we build off of what the meaning of propitiation and what it means. Before we start, though, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the privilege of teaching. And as I prepare, I pray that those who are taking in this lesson, I pray that they are searching your word, searching the scriptures daily. I pray that they, they study and search with great eagerness. And I pray that this stimulates growth and motivates them to know Christ in a great and mighty way. God, we lift up the name of Christ, the name above all names by which men must be saved. And we acknowledge him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we just thank you so much for how he, as we talk about this, how he came on this earth to dwell among us and how his blood was shed for our sins and how his resurrection gives us hope beyond the grave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I was praying, I was thinking about this in terms of, of life and our theology as believers in Christ. We are to reflect the next world that is coming. The eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our lives, our speech, our conduct, everything about us must reflect him. How, <clears throat> how we love one another, because we are commanded to love one another. 
And as we love one another, that is like the badge that we wear of discipleship, knowing that as we love one another, the world sees that. As we love Christ and our brothers and sisters that are in Christ, people will see that and see who we are because of that. People need to see that. And so as I'm saying these things and talking about these things, as Christ came and as he lived his life, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he was there and as he was praying, he knew that his next steps were going to be on that cross. That's why Luke talks about with such detail, because Luke was a physician, so he would know this as it talks about how Christ sweat drops of blood. There was, <clears throat> there was, a, there was a intense feeling going on throughout Christ's body. There was something going on there, and that's, there's, there is a condition in which the capillaries, they, they contract <clears throat> and squeezes blood through the sweat glands. And so, so Christ was feeling this enormous feeling and intensity that was going through him, <clears throat> knowing that he was going to the cross. But he also knew that as he went to the cross that this was why he came and this was his purpose. As he, as he gave up, he voluntarily gave up the royalty, the heaven, the, his heaven, his heavenly abode. And he came down to dwell among men and to live among men and lived a righteous life. Not just that he lived a sinless life, because he did, but there was no way he was ever going to sin. I've heard R.C. Sproul say this, <clears throat> noted Presbyterian an evangelical uh, author and speaker, pastor. I've learned a lot from him. Older men, you can learn and glean a lot from older men. And I always thought, you know, Christ was fully God, fully man. What does that exactly, what does that mean exactly? <clears throat> it's this. It's not that he was 50% human, 50% God. He was both 100% God, 100% man. He had two natures. That's what That was something that R.C. Sproul had said. Christ had two natures. He struggled physically. He was beaten beyond recognition. <coughs> he hungered. He felt pain. All that. But yet he knew no sin. He did not sin. He did not commit any sin because he's God. He's God. That is a mystery to me how that happens, but I'm taking it. That's a, I think that's a great, plausible answer to explain that about why Christ and how Christ lived among us and how, and how he was able to do the things that he, what he did. So with that said, that's what makes Christ incredible and in how he was able to do as the propitiation for our sins. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Now, I've talked about this. Paul lays the foundation about how all men are sinners. He talks about how Greek and Gentile are sinners. They refuse to recognize that there is a creator. They know there's a creator, as Paul talks about, but they refuse to honor him and worship him. Then he turns his attention to the Jews, who they knew the oracles of God, 
They knew the covenants of God. They knew the law of God through Moses and how they were supposed to live and how God desired for his people, these covenant people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in which they were supposed to live. And through Moses, the, this family, which became the 12 tribes of Israel and the covenant people that they were, this is the way in which they were to live. They failed miserably because God showed them that, hey, the reason I put the law in place is for you to recognize that you cannot keep this law. There's no way. You cannot possibly keep this law because my law is perfect. But God put provisions for sacrifices, for different types of offerings to be brought before him. Peace, guilt offerings. Day of Atonement, the Feast of Pentecost. He and and so so God made this way in which they were to make themselves right before Him. This was a this was an act of worship. We can even go back to the Garden of Eden, and I've talked about this in the past, so I won't dwell on this a whole lot. You can go back over some of our lessons in the past. Adam and Eve. I really believe there was an animal that was slain because that's what the Hebrew tends to point to, that an animal was slain because God, when God made the garments of skin, the idea behind that is an animal was slain, blood was shed to give Adam and Eve their clothing. Garments of skin. And that marked, I really believe that marked Adam and it was played and played and was, was really put in his memory to remember, hey, God is a gracious God. I've just, I've just broken his commandment here. And yet God is a forgiving and gracious God. And he taught his sons how to come before him in worship. And it's a somber time. It's a time of reflection when we look at this. So let's look at this. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, one of the first verses I memorized as a new believer. Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is. Jew and Gentile alike. Salvation is the power of God to the Jew first and to the Greek also, or Gentile, as we say. I'll say that intertwined. But then we have to recognize sin. We have to, that's the first step. We must recognize we're sinners before a holy God, perfect God. We've all sinned. Verse 24, being justified. In other words, there's an act here that God's doing in us, making us right. And it's a gift. It is a gift. Another word that's used from Greek from that, or where the Greek, uh, the root word or meaning of this, we get the word charisma or charisma. <laughs> if I'm emphasizing my, the Greek. Grace comes from that. Gift, grace, it comes from that loose root meaning. As a gift by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, his long-suffering, his patience, with men. He passed over the sin. There it is, the Passover. There's another one of those offerings, the very first one. While the children of Israel were still in Egypt, 
The Passover was instituted through Moses and Aaron and then to all of the children of Israel. While they were in Egypt, that last night in Egypt, the angel of death passed over them because they took blood and they put it over their doors from, from a perfect, unblemished lamb. They roasted that lamb. They had a meal from that lamb. They ate bitter uh, herbs and roots to remind them of distaste and displeasure and the ugliness of sin. But that blood was over their door, placed over the door as because the angel of death passed over because the blood was covering them. This is a picture of what it is to be in Christ. Christ right here. When God looks down at me now and I sin, he looks down at me and he sees the blood of Christ on me. It's a picture. It's a symbol. He sees, hey, there he is, a child of God. I'm going to discipline him. I'm going to deal with him. And, yet, and, then, and then when I've sinned, I feel great remorse and, and repentance come upon me. I feel awful. And I want to make things right. I want to make things right with him, and I want to make things right with the person I've offended. That's because he lives in me. He's taken, um, he's taken up residence in me. He's made himself at home in me. He abides in me. His spirit. His spirit. That's nothing to get cocky about. That's for me to recognize the wretchedness of who I was before and where he's leading me to pursue him and come after him. I'm sorry if I'm <laughs> oh, itchy, itchy nose here, excuse me. But the point is, is that I'm being made, I'm being transformed. And we're going to talk about this more as we get into Romans here, about what Christ did at the cross, paying the penalty for my sin, and how he's, he's transforming me over the power of sin. That I don't live in practicing sin, habitual sin, constantly living in sin, willfully living in sin. My lifestyle does not reflect that. It's now a lifestyle reflecting Christ and practicing righteousness. Not my righteousness, not me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, but him working in me. As God's word, as God's word is getting into me, God's word should be coming out of me, and it should be seen. It should be seen. Passed over, because you know, past, present, and future sins are under the blood of Christ. They're all washed in the blood of Christ. For demonstration, I say of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. God's the one who makes me right. God's the one who makes me just. He is the one who is justifying me. He is the one who is making me right. And it's, it's not just at, when I recognize it at that point, that's where it begins, and it continues on. It continues on. He continues to do this work in and through me. Yeah, I've got written up here, propitiation. The, it, it's the, the Greek here is tying it to 
the mercy seat. See, the Israelites, what they would do, they would have um, in, the, in the tabernacle, they would go in, <clears throat> and there was one area where the, the Levites, those ministers who took care of the, of the things of the, of the tabernacle and all the vessels that went with it, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, and then you had and Aaron and Le and Moses were of the tribe of Levi. Well, Aaron was the first great high priest that was appointed, and his through his lineage, his sons, grandsons, great grandsons, and so forth down the line, they would be. They would the high priest would come through the line of Aaron because he was the very first high priest. And what they would do, they would they as they would the time of of. Uh, sacrifice and offering that was done, whether it was the Day of Atonement or the Passover lamb, what would happen was this. The high priest would sacrifice in an area called the, the holy place. And there was there was an altar. There was a there was a, like a, a various other things like the there was the table of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. There was the candle. Jesus is the light. And, and God is light. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light, leads me to salvation. Uh, there was the candle that was there. Then there was the, the areas of the sacrifice. Jesus is known as the Lamb of God. And we're going to tie this together here in just a few minutes. Matter of fact, that's what John said when he came to the River Jordan and he saw Christ. And he said, he recognized him. He said, hey. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He recognized Jesus for who he was. He did. He recognized him, the Lamb of God. But in this holy place was where the sacrifice was. And then there was another area that was called the Holy of Holies. And in there was this, was kind of a, um, uh, a structure called the Ark of the Covenant. Very nice, well, and it was well built. By Aaron and the Levites, and they constructed it. it had angelic wings that came overhead, <clears throat> the holiness of God. And there was incense that would burn and come up overhead. It was a cloud, the Shekinah glory. And it would come up overhead. And in this, they would take the high priest would go in, and there was a curtain, a veil, and the and he would go in there just once a year, and he would take the blood and he would maybe brush it with a brush of some sort and over that seat or sprinkle over that seat and and you couldn't and human hands could not touch the ark of the covenant they'd sprinkle this blood over it and sure enough as that blood was thrown over and sprinkled over that mercy seat god would look down and he didn't see sin he saw the blood that covered it covered. You know what? I've, I've used this illustration several times. It's a lot like a, a credit card. A credit card is used. I can purchase my, my things and I can get it there at the at where, wherever I want to I can, as a consumer and I can get whatever products I can receive by the use of a credit card. At the end of the month, I'm going to receive a bill from the credit card company. 
And I'm thinking, you know, hey, why? what is the big deal? Because I've gotten my products. I've gotten what I wanted. The credit card only covers the debt. They want, the credit card wants the cash because the cash cancels the debt. You see the blood of rams, bulls, and goats? It only satisfied to a point because it covered sin. It only covered sin leading up to the Messiah. These saints in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the day of the Redeemer, the Messiah who would come and take away their sins and make them white as snow. They were looking forward to that day. As believers, as New Testament believers, we look back to that day at Calvary where Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Hallelujah. We look at that. That's why this word is so important. It's fundamental and basic to evangelical Christianity. Modern preaching claims the word is too technical and not, quote, user-friendly for contemporary Christians. But if we don't get a hold of this, we'll never realize the gravity of our sin and why Christ came and died for our sins at the cross. See, I live, in, I live in the southern part of the United States. There's a church every 10 yards. Various denominations, various persuasions. People hear this all the time, Jesus died for my sins, Jesus died for my sins. People hear that and they know that, hey, Jesus died for my sins so I can get into heaven. That's part, that's part of the equation. But the big part of this, of this math problem, if you will, is right in the middle. I'm not just saved from the penalty of sin, which is what propitiation we talked about here. Paying the penalty. Paying the penalty for what I owe to God so that I can be in his presence. Step one, let's not leap over step two to three penalty to presence because in the middle is we're being saved from the power the power of sin we're being saved we're being transformed God is saving us by his transformation in our lives that's what he is doing that's why this word is so we have to understand it it's not just atonement it's not just ransom a ransom. It's a penalty. We owe God and our lives and everything falls on Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. That's why I wanted to stress this. It's got to be clearly explained from Scripture. And here it is. The satisfaction for the sins of every person who would ever believe in him. It's the satisfaction. It's the holding back of God's wrath on sin because God has a holy hatred and a holy anger when it comes to sin. 
That's why when Christ was there on the cross, there was that point where he, he sensed a forsaken <clears throat> feeling from the Father. Why have you forsaken me? It's because the Father could not look down at his own Son because he had the sins of the world on him at the cross. Brief separation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's a brief separation. <clears throat> but that's why this is so important to understand. The blood of rams, bulls, and goats, that sacrificial system, the high priests, the Levites, all that, all that pointed to who Jesus Christ was. Let me talk about these next couple of verses here in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 17. There's just brief, uh, 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 I guess, verses. They're, they're, they don't go into a lot of detail about some of these passages, but, but Hebrews obviously is written to those folks who are Jewish, who have a Jewish background, so they would have understanding about these things. So, and, and the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing that Christ is a greater and better covenant than that Old Testament system. If you have Christ, you do not have to go back to that old system. And there is an emphasis because the law, now the law is its, it's moral, um, the moral gravity of it and, and our moral conscience the law plays a huge part of it, but as far as the ceremony and the offerings, we don't have to do that anymore because Christ fulfilled all that by paying for our sins. We don't have to go through those that, that ceremony anymore, <clears throat> but we must understand the moral consequences that come from the law, and that is recognizing that we've fallen short of God's standards. Yes, Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17. Therefore he had, Jesus, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Wow. Wow make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, but I didn't think about this, but even in Daniel, the prophet, and what he writes, he writes this, in Daniel 9, he talks about Christ and the Messiah and when he came when he came on this earth. And he said this. He writes this in, in Romans 9. Yeah, Romans 9, verse 20. Or I'm sorry, Daniel. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision <coughs> and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. That's what Jesus came. 
make that payment, the atonement, pay the penalty for what we owe to God. Let me also read this to you. This is in 1 John and, and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John writes this. He says, he writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. Let me tell you something. When you give your life to Christ, there's not a sinless perfection that happens in you. There's not perfectionism. You are being made perfect and you're being made right, but you've not arrived. Not, in, not while we're in this body. We are not going to be there. No. We're being made right. We're being transformed. So when John writes this about you may not sin, he's talking about a practicing lifestyle of sin that you may not sin. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney. We have a lawyer who steps in our place and pleads our case and represents us. When I go before the Lord, the Lord is interceding for me. His spirit is interceding for me. Yeah, he's stepping in my place for me before the Lord, before God, the Father. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for, the, for those of the whole world. Yeah, yeah. See, Christ died on the cross. And he said, hey, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending the comforter the one who will come alongside of you, the one who will take up residence in you and live in you, in which you're able to live for Christ, in which you're able to guard his commandments and be strong in faith to love one another. It's the work of Christ in us in which we're able to love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. You know, John talks about God being love and how we're to reflect that love. <clears throat> you know what? When we're told to love one another, that's a command. That's a command. God is doing a work in us in which we are able to love one another. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love. Whatever God does, whatever reaction God does, he does it out of love. The things that he chooses to do, it's out of love. God is love, first and foremost. But even out of that, he is holy and he is righteous and he displays his love to us. There is no one like him. Yeah, no, there is no one like him. Yeah, so we see this, we see these passages and what's being used here. Christ is our advocate. He is the one who's called alongside to help and step in our place. He is our divine defense attorney who represents us before, before the Lord and speaks on our behalf, being our advocate. <clears throat> Christ is our propitiation. He is the high priest entering the Holy of Holies. 
the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat right here, the Lamb of God, the blood that is shed. The word, and I didn't put this up here, the word is, we get from the Greek, the idea And that's where that comes from, is the mercy seat. This is where the broken law <clears throat> is brought in reconciled, brought into agreement with the holy and perfect law or, of God and how, this is, how these are both brought together here. Those who have broken his holy law and how a holy God and his holy law are reconciled and brought into agreement here. Let me read also from Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. Moses writes this about the Ark of the Covenant. <clears throat> there and there I will meet you. I will meet you, the Lord says. And from above the mercy seat, from above the mercy seat, looking down, and from between the two cherubim, those angelic wings that cover the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, which are upon the Ark of the Testimony. And inside that, inside the Ark, if you took that covering off, you would have the jar of manna representing God being there and feeding his people and going before them. Even when they were in disobedience and disbelief, God fed those folks for 40 years. There's Aaron's rod that budded. That, that staff was as dead, dead wood, but you know what? Life came from it. Only God can bring life from the dead. Only God can do that. And then in that is the holiness of God, his law, the Ten Commandments or the law, those tablets of stone that are right there. And it represents who God is. That's what's in the <clears throat> Ark of the Covenant. I will speak to you about all that I give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. I will meet you there above the mercy seat between the two, the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Testament. See, that sacrificial blood changed the Ark of Judgment because God judges sin. It must be, it must be exposed and it must be judged. But that, that ark of the judgment turned into the mercy seat. God shows mercy through the propitiation for our sins. Christ did that. All that's in the Old Testament, it reflects and points to something that is new that is in Jesus Christ. That's why I wanted to take this time to cover this word, because it is so important. And people need to know this and understand it. And study, please study this for yourself. Please search the scriptures and see what this, what this passage means and how it plays out and how this is, this is foundational for all believers to understand and to explain. It's easy just to go around, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. Because people won't turn from their sins. But when they see the, the, what this man here, 
that God died for our sins. God in human flesh died for our sins, in the likeness of human flesh. He died for our sins. And we recognize, we recognize the value. And we recognize how great a salvation we have that is in Jesus Christ. And we recognize that his resurrection gives us hope beyond the grave, beyond death. Because this world is passing away. This world is groaning for its day of redemption. Let's be people who know that there's, there is there's something beyond this. There is an eternal world that is, that is in God, that is in Christ. Now more than ever, here in the 21st century, in 2023, people are looking for answers. As I finish here and conclude, let me, let me say this to you. You know what I'm finding? Just people are more, just as open and more open to hearing about eternity and the life that is in Christ. People are willing to listen. People are willing to hear. Now, there are some people who have a, uh, a bitterness in them. There's anger in them. God will touch them. God can touch them. What God has called us to do is to be faithful to this, to what God has done through Christ. And the way of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. It's so great and so awesome. Thank you for this time as we've studied this and looked at this. As we continue uh, in the coming uh, days and weeks ahead, as we continue in our study in Romans, and as we look at this and as we, as we take time to look at chapter 4 and how Paul builds off this and shows us that what Christ did as the propitiation for our sins and how our life builds off that in the faith that we are to have in obedience to God. And he talks about Abraham here in chapter 4. He's going to talk about him. Man, Abraham's life is incredible. Abraham didn't get it right all the time. He didn't. But he, he learned. He learned. He learned to be faithful. And there were, some, there were some crushing lessons for Abraham to learn. And along the way, he recognized God's, God's faithfulness. And he learned, that, hey, I'm going to let go. I hate to say let go and let God. But he did turn loose of some things that he thought he could be in charge of and control. And God had his plan. And finally, he recognized that. And Abraham's life is, is incredible. At the age of 75, when God first calls him and he's childless, to being 100 years old, and his son Isaac is born, and then approximately 25 years later, at the age of 125, he takes his one and only son. God calls him to sacrifice him incredible story and what Abraham does and how he shows that he doesn't hold back and, and God sees hey through that testing 
hey, you're going to trust me. You're going to take me at my word. Please search the scriptures daily with great eagerness. Please search him out, look for him, keep pursuing him. Hey, and live until he returns. Maranatha, continue to pursue him and come after him in all that you do. May the Lord richly bless you in the days ahead. God bless you and good evening.